over the next five weeks, myself, Jane, Simon, Laura, uh, Hancock, and then myself will come back and do the last one. So we'll be looking at these five different emotions and these colors. Just before we do that, I just want to say to you as church, um, just a little bit, nothing to do with the talk now, just a bit about myself in the next two weeks. Tomorrow, um, I go away for two weeks, just over two weeks, which is a two-week study break, which the elders very kindly gave me. Thought I needed to get away, obviously, um, which is really great. And I'm heading out to America tomorrow for two weeks uh, with Matt Gregory, one of the other leaders here in the church. We're spending a week together in Los Angeles, then he's heading off somewhere else, and I'm going to Dallas, Texas, where I'm involved in speaking at a leadership event. But the whole of the two weeks really is, is predominantly about some space to go away, to think and to pray about the future for us as a church. We're in a very exciting season for us as a church. We're looking to 2020, if you're at the Vision Gathering, to what God would want to do by 2020. So, so to go away for two weeks, uh, to get right out of everything and to give myself to that is really important. But also, uh, as I go, uh, there's at least six churches that I'm going to be visiting, spending some time with some of their leaders, some of them as well. They're great, amazing churches. And I'm also going to be doing a three-day, me and Matt are going to be doing a three-day mission experience in downtown downtown Los Angeles with this incredible church called the Dream Center. Um, and uh, what they do there is they send people out into the community to Skid Row, to Crack Addicts, to, you know, to all, all kinds of other, other interesting situations. They have 900 homeless men that they look after every single night. It's a phenomenal operation. And uh, we're really excited about being a part of that. A little bit daunting as well. So really appreciate your prayers over the next two weeks uh, as I'm heading away. And I'm really grateful to God that I'm able to go and know that the church is going to be fantastic because Simon and the team here do an unbelievable job. And so I'm really excited. Although the last time I went away for two weeks, it got burnt down. But we're not, but we're, we're not I, I promised you, mate, we weren't going to mention that again. I promised that we, we're going to move on from the fire. I'm only joking. No, we're, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so pleased that Simon and the team do a fantastic job. That was brilliant. Right, so if the great emoticon... Uh, is, that, is, is that we can't actually control our emotions. If we believed that con, what would happen? If we were suckered into this idea that as human beings, we cannot control our emotions, they control us. If we suck, were suckered into that and believed that and went with that, what would happen? I'll tell you what will happen. Lives will be damaged or even destroyed. I don't know whether any of you uh, watched on the news a couple of weeks ago, that girl, that Northern Irish girl that came out of prison in Peru. Do you remember that story? She was in the early 20s and she was in Peru and she uh, was, was caught smuggling drugs from Peru to Spain and she was put in prison for a couple of years. And I watched her being interviewed and, and she seemed like she just said, look, I'm a good person. She said, it was just a moment of madness. Just a moment of madness where she couldn't control some emotion and it damaged her life. If we gave into this con, marriages and families would be damaged and destroyed, often on repeating cycles. Even churches can get damaged or destroyed by the inability to handle our emotions. How many of you know that's true? In fact, when I was a kid, I was brought up in the Salvation Army. And I remember as a kid hearing a story um, of how in band practice, because we all played brass instruments, in band practice one night, things got so heated that not only were words exchanged, but somebody wrapped a trombone around the neck of somebody else. And I remember as a child thinking, I'm not sure that's a biblical way of handling conflict. I might be wrong. So even churches are susceptible. And then, of course, nations are damaged and destroyed because we can't handle or manage our emotions. And I want to credit a guy called Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church for some of these thoughts and ideas. A lot of it's my own, but some of them are his thoughts that I want to throw in here. 
Because you know, the Bible tells us that to beat this con, to, to control our emotions, if we manage to do that, we will live better, healthier, more God-honoring lives. But if we allow emotions to control and direct us, the end game of there is nothing but tragedy and misery. And if you're not yet a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you don't un, you're not unsure what you believe about the whole God thing or the Jesus thing. I want to say this series over the next five weeks will be a brilliant series for you to come to. Because actually, the wisdom that we want to give you will impact your life for the better, whether you believe in God or not. Because this is truth. And we want to suggest to you, you might be, I'm not sure about the faith thing, and you might want to put that on one side for a moment. But actually, the wisdom that we want to give you Myself, Jane and Simon and Laura from the Bible will impact your life for the good if you can get a hold of it. And in fact, some books in the Bible, because the Bible's not one book, it's 66 books all put together. And what, there's some of those books called the wisdom books. And they're called the books of wisdom because they're books about wisdom. Okay, so that's why they're called the books of wisdom. And one of those is the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 4, it's a brilliant uh, chapter actually. If you want to read it on your own, please do that. But one of the verses I want to pull out this morning is verse 23. And many of you will know this verse. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. One of the other translations uh, of that verse says, for it determines the course of your life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life, where you go and where you end up. If you don't guard your heart, everything you do and where you end up in life will come from that unguarded heart. But if you guard it, it will determine where you go and where you end up. Now, in wisdom literature, the heart represents the center of someone's identity, the core of who they are. It's the seat of their emotions, but it's also about their desires, their attitudes, their values, all of this. And what the Bible says is that from this place, all of life emerges. And the Bible says, guard it. It's so valuable. It's so precious. It's such a treasure that you need to do all you can to guard it. Now, it's amazing to me what we guard these days, isn't it? It's amazing what we measure. It's amazing what we watch over what we calculate, what we work out, you know, our calories, our carbs, our cash, the wrinkles, the blemishes, the treasures, the pets. It's amazing what we guard and what we watch over. Now, I want to tell you a story and I want to use myself as a personal illustration. But before we do it, I'm going to need to ask you to do something and that's not to judge me too quickly. Is everybody okay with that? Because the minute I begin to explain what I'm going to talk about from my own life, there's going to be some judgment in the house here this morning. Some of you are going to say, fantastic, and you're going to applaud and cheer me when I say this, and you're going to want to carry me above your head out uh, uh, of the, of the uh, church this morning. Some of you are going to say, yeah, right, yep, give it a few more months. And some of you are going to say, you're so annoying, that's so patronizing. Okay, so that's, that's going to be the reaction here this morning. So before I share this personal illustration... Is it agreed that there's going to be no judgment here this morning? Because, that doesn't sound very loud there. Is it agreed there's going to be no judgment this morning? Brilliant. Because what I want to share about myself is going to go on to make another point. So don't get stuck on the point I say where the judgment comes because I'm going to make another point. Fantastic. Great. Here we go. So over Christmas time, I was praying and thinking and preparation for the new series in January, The New You. Do you remember that? It was only a few months ago. The first talk was called The Healthy You. So I was going to teach you all on being healthy. 
And as I began to look at it and pray at it and look at it, I thought, okay, God wants us to be healthy financially, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, ah, physically. And when I got to the physical one and looked in the mirror, and at the same time that I was preparing it, I think I was eating all the leftovers of Christmas and pies and cheesecakes and all this. I looked in my mirror and thought, I ain't healthy. I ain't healthy. And so I said to you in January, I'm committing myself to going on a diet and to joining the gym. And very helpfully and very affirmingly and very encouragingly, several of you came up to me after and said, well, give that a week. <laughs> Thanks for that. You know who you are. You know who you are. And I know who you are. Uh, and then after a month, some of you thought, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, in fact, somebody said to me, we've got a book open on how, on how, and we've got bets going on how long it will take. Really encouraging. Thank you. But here I declare this morning, three months down the track, I'm going to the gym every week, at least three or four times a week. And as of yesterday, I've lost over a stone and a half. See, and there's the different reaction in the room. There's some applause and there's some of you like that. You're flipping, smug, flipping, patronizing. And I understand that. But here's the thing. I know that doing it for three months is one thing, but for a whole lifetime is a whole different thing. I know that. And here's the issue as well. As I was thinking about it, you see, because my wife, she was here, she was here at the first service, she was nodding when I said this. She'll tell you that once you get into something, once I've got into this, I've got totally obsessed. And all of a sudden, I'm counting my calories. Is there really calories in lettuce? Are you sure, darling? You, there may be a calorie in this lettuce. You know, can I eat that? Oh, if I eat that, then I've got to go to the gym again. And I got really obsessed and really over it. And then God spoke to me as I'm preparing this. And he says, Leon, I said, above all else, guard your heart, not your calories, not your carbs not your exercise. That's all important, but above all else, which means it's more important than anything else is your heart. And you can get yourself fit healthily. You can get yourself financially secure. You can get yourself in a marriage or in a relationship and you can get all that done if you don't guard your heart. It will determine where you end up in life. Above all else, guard your heart you see, we go to the gym and we measure our health rate. What about our heart health? We watch our calories, our calories. We watch our calories, but what about our character? We avoid gluten, but what about gossip? <laughs> we put creams all over our face, but do we monitor what we allow into our mind? Above all else, guard your heart. You see, if it's in your heart, it will be in your head. And if it's in your head, it will be in your heart. And the connection between our head and our heart is much closer than we think. And some people think, oh, oh you just got to think it out. And it doesn't matter about feelings. They're not important. But you know, that's totally unbiblical. Totally unbiblical. Because if, if it's in your head, it'll be in your heart. If it's in your heart, it'll be in your head. The connection between the two is incredibly linked together. And it will determine the course of your life. Because what we feel affects what we think. And what we think affects what we feel. And both of those affect what we do. Both of those affect what we do. Now, if you're going to guard your heart, okay, if you and I are going to guard our heart, we've got to first own it. We have to own it. You don't put your dog in next door neighbor's garden to guard their house because it's your dog. You've got to own it in order to guard it. And when you own it, you take responsibility for it. So over the next five weeks, and the guys are going to do an amazing job. I've heard Jane's talk already uh, for next week on anger. It is phenomenal. You do not want to miss that anger red. When you look at these different emotions and the guys begin to talk to you about emotions, you need to hear these words. I've got to own it. I've got to own it. I've got to take responsibility. I have got to guard it. It is my job to do it. You see, if we don't do that, then we say things like this. He made me so angry. Anyone ever said that? Wives? Yep. He made, he made you angry. Is that true? 
Maybe he provoked you. Maybe he, you know, wound you up. But did he actually make you angry? Or did you make, or, or did what he do? Did you, did you own that or not? Or did you put it onto him? She put me in a bad mood. Anyone ever said that? She or he put me in a bad mood. Really? She picked you up and put you in a bad mood? You're a goldfish, are you? That she actually put you in that bowl? Or did you do that? Do you own it? He doesn't make me happy anymore. Wow. That suggests before you gave him the key to your happiness and he did it and now he doesn't do it. So whose fault is that? It's his fault. No, actually, we have to own it if we're to guard it. You see, if you give the key to happiness or joy to anyone else, you give the power away and and what you do is you lock yourself in a prison, you give them the key. That makes sense. We have to own it. You see, I can't blame this iPad if this talk doesn't go well this morning. Because it's only a device. It's what I put into it that matters. And you know, David, the King David, the David of David and Goliath uh, fame, of Psalm 23 fame, he wrote another of the, uh, much of another of the wisdom books, the book of Psalms. And in there, he wrote loads of things about emotions. And when you look at how he handled emotions, it's amazing. Let me just quickly go through this. What he did was he admitted them. He was an open book. You you know, can I just say, and and this is true of a lot of people, especially Christians, unfortunately, you know, when they're struggling and you say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. They're lying. Now, that seems strong and you're not going to open up to everybody. But if you open up to nobody and you're always saying you're fine when you're not fine, that is not a healthy way to manage your emotions. David admitted the emotions he was feeling. He expressed them. Said things like this, I am worn out from my groaning. Do you know what I mean? I'm worn out. I'm expressing them. But then he questioned them. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his emotions. He's admitting them. He's expressing them. Then he's saying, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? He's challenging them. Sometimes he'll say, put your hope in God. He's like, he's, like, he's saying, you know, I'm fearful and I'm, I'm anxious. But, but why am I like that? Come on, put your hope in God. He challenged them. He controls them. He owns them. He changes them. And then he says things like, I will take refuge in my God. I will not fear. And what I'm going to do is whatever the emotion is, I'm going to own it. I'm going to take responsibility. And I'm going to guard my heart. Because if I don't do that, everything in my life will flow out of that place. And so this morning, we're going to look at our first emotion, which is joy. And uh, joy is a good emotion, isn't it? And whether your football team is at the top of the league or right at the bottom of the league, whatever's going on in your life, joy is a great emotion. What is joy? Dictionary says joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. You know, I think the church has got a funny relationship with joy and happiness, hasn't it? It's like the church is, it kind of feels that joy is this kind of spiritual thing and happiness is this kind of worldly thing, you know, like this shallow supervision. In fact, in researching, I, I found a quote here, happiness is an emotion and temporary, joy is an attitude of the heart. And understand that, it's just not biblical. And when I was growing up again in church, um, uh, we, we sang this song. I don't know whether you remember this song. He's got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart, he's got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Do you remember that one? Who remembers that one? It was written in 1923. 
Okay, and that wasn't when I, when I was around, okay, that was when it was written. But I remember as a kid, growing up in a church, and looking round at everyone, singing, we've got the joy, 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 down in my heart, where? Down in my heart, where? Down. And thinking, it's really deep. Do you know what I mean? It is really, really deep down in your heart. You certainly haven't told your face anything about it at all. And here's the thing, you see, we've got this relationship in the church between joy and happiness where we think joy is the spiritual thing and happiness is the fluffy, worldly kind of culture thing. But that's a fairly, a re- it's a fairly recent idea in the church. Someone like Charles Spurgeon in the 18th century, he wrote, 19th century, he wrote this, May your Christian life be fraught with happiness and overflowing with joy. Isn't that amazing? May your Christian life be fraught with happiness and overflowing with joy. The Bible says in Esther 8 verse 16, for the Jews it was a time of happiness and joy. Jeremiah 13 verse 13, I will turn their mourning into joy and bring happiness out of grief. You see in the Bible, joy is happiness and happiness is joy. They're not so distinct or separate, but the key is, where do you find it? Where is real happiness and where is real joy? It's not where we think it is. And here's the thing that we talked about earlier in the year. You see, what makes you happy or joyful? No thing. Nothing. No thing can make you happy or joyful. Happiness and joy is never attached to a what, but always connected to a who. It's always connected to a relationship. And so in Acts chapter 3, when the church was very, very young, and two of the disciples are on their way up to the temple to say prayers, and, and they see this beggar begging outside the gate, gate called Beautiful. His life wasn't beautiful, but he sat there, quite ironical, outside this gate, and he's asking them for cash. He's asking them for money because he thinks that's what will make him happy and joyful. They don't have any cash or money, but what they do is they pray for him. And the guy gets healed and he's so full of joy that he can't not only stop walking, he can't stop dancing and praising because he didn't get what he wanted, but he got what he needed. Because happiness and joy is never connected to a what, but always to a who, and his name is Jesus. And this is what it what said. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Can you imagine if they had cash, maybe they'd have given him what he wanted and what he thought he needed. And they wouldn't have given him what he actually needed, which was joy. They'd have given him the what, but maybe not connected him to the who. And no thing can make you happy in the long term or really joyful, only connected to a who. And I I love that story. And let me just say, at this church, we believe that God still heals today physically. Okay? Isn't that right? And he doesn't heal everybody all the time and we don't understand all that. But we pray for people all the time to receive healing. And at the moment, we're hearing story after story of people who are saying, do you know what? God's touched me physically and God's healed me. Brilliant. And at the end of the service in the prayer room, you can head through there this morning and someone will pray for you if you've got a physical need or a physical issue or any other issue. Because we believe that God intervenes in a way that we see in these old stories. Now, let me shift gear a little bit. What's the easiest thing for you to lose out of these four? Keys, wallet, phone, or glasses? Let's do a little bit of an audience participation survey. So keys, phone, keys, wallet, phone, or glasses? Keys. Okay, more key losers in the first, second service than the first service. F- wallet. Yep, 
Not many lose their wallet. We hold on to that boy tight, don't we? Uh, phone. And finally, glasses. Yep, yep, the older ones. Ah, not just the older ones. Okay. Can I tell you what's easier to lose than all those four things is your joy. That's easier to lose than your keys, your phone, your wallet, or your glasses. You see, you can lose your joy in an instant, can't you? An email comes. A text message comes. A conversation happens. An interaction with your boss, with your spouse, with your friend. Something happens and instantly you can lose your joy. And what I want to say in the next five minutes or so, I don't want to appear trite or trivial. I've only got a few minutes to say a massive amount of stuff. And you, some of you this morning, and, and I, I was aware of this at the first service, looking out and knowing some people, the, the lives that you're living and the circumstances that are in your life right now, those, that's only the ones I know, let alone the ones I don't know. You know, things are stealing your joy and taking your joy right now. And I don't want to appear trite or superficial. I realize there's a whole range of stuff. And hopefully what I say won't be trite or superficial to you. And I really hope and pray it doesn't. But I want to talk about the message of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus is really quite simple. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. So if you're not a Christian this morning and you think, oh, I'll be a Christian. I'll never have any troubles. Don't. Okay, because you will have, because Jesus said you will have trouble in this world. It's just part and parcel of living in the world. But he also said this, I've told you these things, John 15, 11, so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. In the midst of trouble and difficulty, you're going to be filled with my joy and it will overflow. So how do we live lives where we capture joy, where we stay joyful in our troubles and where joy overflows? Firstly, we have to own it. Your joy is your job. Your joy is your job. You can't give that to anybody else. You can't give that to your husband or your wife or your boss or your friend or your kids or your mom or your dad. Your joy is your job. My joy is my job. Why don't we say that this morning? My joy is my job. Say it again like you mean it. My joy is my job. Exactly. I've got to own it and take responsibility for it. And that's all about owning it and guarding it and putting that guard dog around the emotions and around our heart. So I want to give you five quick ways, okay? They're not, it's, it's quick because I, I ain't got much time, but they're not quick, okay? Five ways that you can get a handle on cultivating and holding on to this joy. Firstly, cultivate a childlike mindset, I don't mean childish, I mean childlike. Somebody after the first service came and stopped me in the door and said, we had someone come into our workplace to do a whole talk on creativity and innovation. And he said, the key to creativity and innovation is childlikeness. It's really true. And a childlike mindset is so important. That means, you know, go on a joyride occasionally. I don't mean steal a car, all right? I mean, go on one of those kind of joyrides. Play with food or, you know, in your suit, go in a park. Or just do something crazy, you know, be present. Give yourself permission to enjoy the moment. Play a little, take a risk. Don't take yourself too seriously. In the midst of really difficult stuff, to actually be childlike is incredibly joy-giving into your life. Now, I think the older you get, the more you need a sense of humor. Isn't that right? And I love it. When I see a sense of humor in older folks, I really love it. Uh, yeah, I had a story come into my head, and I'm just checking through the scroll. Appropriate, not appropriate? Not appropriate. Okay, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll read this next one out to you, okay? I love this. I've, I've said it before. It's a great quote, and it says this. I've sure gotten old. 
I've had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement, new knees, for prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind, can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine, take 40 different medications that make me dizzy, winded, and subject to blackouts. I have bouts with dementia, have poor circulation, hardly feel my hands and feet anymore, can't remember if I'm 85 or 92, have lost all my friends, but thank God I still have my driver's license. <laughs> That's scary. That is really scary. But what a great sense of humor. Brilliant. And you need that if you're going to cultivate, if you're going to hold on to joy. Because you see, as you're going to see over the next five weeks, joy is the key emotion that connects with all these other ones. And we're going to come back right at the end of the series and I'm going to look at sadness and show you the connection between sadness and joy. And if we're going to live like this, we've got to cultivate a childlike mindset. Secondly, cultivate a thankful mindset. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, be, give thanks, give thanks to in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. Now he doesn't say give thanks for the circumstances, but in the circumstances give thanks. And the, and the word thanks there literally means grace and the root word means joy. And it's the word used when Jesus broke bread at the Last Supper. And before he went out to the cross, he broke bread and he gave thanks for it. Grace and joy that just before he went to the cross, he was thankful, not for the circumstances, but in them. And the Bible says of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Be thankful. Thirdly, cultivate a serving mindset. Again, earlier on in the year, studies show that there's a connection between people who are happy and joy-filled and, 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 and the service they do for others. In other words, when you serve others consistently, you are more likely to be joy-filled yourself. That's just fact. In fact, the, 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 the research suggests that if you serve on a consistent basis, if you're able to, you're more likely to experience the following. Less depression, less heart disease, less stress, less chance of drug abuse. What's more, even if you serve consistently with a bad attitude, your results are better than people who don't serve at all. That's amazing, isn't it? People who serve consistently have a greater sense of self-esteem, live longer, have a better quality of life. They have joy. Doesn't mean they don't, that it's all easy. They don't have troubles, but in the midst of troubles, there's joy. Number four, cultivate a hopeful mindset. I love the story of Martin Luther King. I love it, the 50s and the 60s. And I'm going to be going to Texas for a week while I'm away. And in the South, then you still see all those issues. But when you think back to the 50s and the 60s, Martin Luther King and all the other civil rights leaders and people, and, and you know, while they were being put in prison and when the dogs were being set on them and when the water cannons were being shot at them, they wrote such incredible, hopeful songs. And one of the key phrases of Martin Luther King often was, we shall overcome. We ain't seeing it now, but we shall overcome because we're hopeful. You, you have joy in your life when you cultivate a hopeful mindset. And then fifthly, cultivate a perspective mindset. What do I mean by this? Keeping things in their proper perspective is so important. We allow things to rob us of our joy when we lose our perspective. And firstly, I think this is when we lose sense of perspective about the size of our troubles. And you know, hashtag first world problems. You ever heard that expression? Now, the reality is, that we all live in the first world, okay? And so we have issues to deal with. I'm not trying to minimize them. But can I say, if your troubles are to do with your phone, your hair, your coffee, or your football team, they're small. Really, in the scheme of things, they're small. And I can get frustrated by all those things. Well, not the hair, but the coffee, and certainly the football team and the phone. And, I, and it can bring me down. And sometimes I have to say, God, what am I doing? In fact, the reason I stopped going to the football this season, a truthful honesty now, is that it was starting to affect me too much. 
starting to affect me too much emotionally. I was thinking too much about my beloved team and all this. And it was affecting me so much. I said, you know what? For a year, I ain't going. Because that's a first world problem. And we've got to get the sense of perspective into our lives. But also, and I really hope you hear this, when you're going through trouble, we lose perspective over the season of trouble that we're going through. If you're passing through something, you're passing through it. It will not last forever. And in the midst of what you're going through, guys, I want you to know, you can know joy. And joy comes when you cultivate a sense of perspective. God, I know this is really tough. This is really difficult. But I'm passing through, so I'm going to pass through this season. What you're passing through will pass. It will. 1 Peter 1.6, Peter says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. And even if that's months or even years, in the context of eternity, it's a little while. So, this morning as we draw to an end, if you've lost your joy, how do you get it back? How do you get your joy back? If joy and happiness is not connected to a what, but connected to a who, then let's talk about Jesus for a moment. You see, the first miracle that Jesus did was turning water into wine. And it was so significant because the rabbi used to have this statement. Rabbis in the day used to say, without wine, there is no joy. And I kind of paused at the first service and I thought, that's not the best statement in the world, all right? So like, don't write that on your fridge, okay, as a statement from this morning. Without wine, there is no joy. Some of you already got it on your fridge, I know that. But hey-ho. But, but, but they said that because to them, wine was connected with joy, the joy of life. And when you're at a wedding and the wine's all run out, not only is the joy gone, but shame comes as well. And Jesus, his first miracle is to bring back joy and to take away shame. Because God is all into relationship. And if you've lost your joy, God wants nothing more than to give it you back. God wants to restore your joy. David, King David, when he wrote all those psalms, and one of the psalms he wrote was a psalm he wrote after he messed up really badly and lost his joy. And he said to to God, God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Because I've lost it. So you can know joy again this morning. How do I know it? Well, Maybe there's some clues in how David handled emotions. Acknowledge it. Have you lost your joy? Acknowledge it. Admit it. Own it. Express it. Question it. Challenge it. Begin or begin again to cultivate those kind of mindsets. But in all of that, give space to receive it from God again. I love this verse. 1 Peter 1 verse 8. You love him, Peter said. This is Jesus he's talking about. Even though you've never seen him, though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And he was right into a church in the time that was persecuted, oppressed, being beaten, tortured and martyred for their faith. And he said, in the midst of all that, you know him, even you see him, even though you've never really seen him, you know him, even though you've never actually met him physically, but you've met him and in the middle of your troubles, you have an inexpressible joy. Isn't that amazing? And I want to invite the band to come back. I don't know how many of you this week um, were impacted like I was with the story of Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I I listened to the story over the road in the gym, actually, on one of those machines. And I I almost had to get off the machine. I was so overcome with emotion as as I I had my earphones in and I was watching and listening to the story. And what really impacted me about the story, and if you don't know the story, just before Easter, Justin Welby discovered that Gavin Welby, his father, was not his actual father. That his mother had had a one-off relationship with the, 
uh, private secretary to Sir Winston Churchill, you know, moving different circles, just literally a couple of days before Gavin and, and his mother eloped and got married. And um, when he was confronted with the news, uh, just before Easter, about this, DNA testing had been done and it was proved that, his that the guy that he thought was his father all of his life wasn't his actual father. And what was so powerful to me, as, as I was you know, just listening to it and watching it on the, on the TV, was, was the, the, the reporter, who, who, or the guy who gave him the news, then was, was feeding back and reporting to these guys on, on BBC Breakfast News. And they asked this guy, they said, how did he react? And this guy said, I was so impressed with how he reacted. And this is what the guy said, not just him, this is what the guy said. He says, you've got to remember that Justin Welby was brought up with, with Gavin and Welby, and, and who he thought was his father but wasn't, and his mother. Both were alcoholics. So Justin Welby's daughter died in a car accident. So he's had a tough life. And this is what he said. But when he met God, he met his heavenly father. And instantly, he said, he found out of that relationship an inner confidence and joy. It was amazing to me. So I nearly had to get off the machine. I was in bits. And then, and then later on in the day, I read what he wrote himself. And he said this, I find out who I am in Jesus Christ, not in genetics. My identity in him never changes. And I don't know what kind of experience you've had or are having in terms of earthly relationships. But when you meet Christ, your everything changes. It's an inexpressible joy and an inner confidence and assurance. You see, folks, God is a good, good father. No matter what your earthly experiences has been or is right now. And you know, the, the two guys that wrote this song that we sang that we're going to sing again in a minute. You know, one of them never knew his father when he was growing up. That's a little bit of the background to this song. But he says in the song, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. And so in the midst of trouble, when something wants to grab your joy and wants to pull it away and maybe replace it with sadness or fear or anger or disgust, when you connect with your heavenly father, when you connect with your good, good father, when you take those moments out to remind yourself that no matter what you're going through, you're going through it, it ain't going to last forever, but you're not going through it alone because your good, good father is with you. There's nothing like that to bring joy back into your life. And maybe this morning, some of you need to admit it and own it and say, God, I need, to I need my joy back. I need my joy back. And we would love to pray for you this morning. So can we pray, folks? Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? In a moment, we're going to stand in a moment and sing this amazing song and worship God through it. But right now, just before we do that, if there is anyone here this morning and you know that something or someone has kind of stolen your joy, maybe you gave the keys to someone else, but maybe this morning you say, no, no, I'm going to take it back. My joy is my job, but actually it comes from God. And so maybe this morning you want to just acknowledge that and admit it to Him. So while everyone's got their eyes closed, if that's you, I just want to ask you to put your hand up just so that you know you've responded. And I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. You're now beginning to own it and take responsibility for it in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for these folks. God, I pray that you'll meet them in this moment of honesty. God, transformation only occurs in moments of honesty and vulnerability. 
And God, I pray that now as they begin now, maybe to cultivate these kind of mindsets that we've talked about this morning, God, would you give them that grace of your presence? Good, good Father, give them those moments of connection where in the midst of their troubles, they know that they're not on their own. And God, I pray for all of us that we would live lives not controlled by our emotions, but God, where we own those emotions and where we guard our hearts and where we express these emotions, which are so amazing when they're expressed appropriately and healthily. And God, we do that in the best, in the context of a loving relationship with our good, good Father. Let's stand together.